Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's God's grace touched your life. Amen. It's okay to get excited for the Lord. If you're a guest, man, we like to get excited about Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Wasn't that a great? Let's give our worship band, man, one time. Oh, so good. Usher us into the presence of God. Let's open up with prayer. I got to settle down, so maybe some prayer will settle us down in him. Father, we love you so much. Your hand is great, and we thank you for it. This morning, God, as we celebrate your name, that's what we're here for. To learn about you, to celebrate you, that everything might be pointed towards you, God. The entire Bible points to one man. His name's Jesus Christ, and we want to celebrate that name. Say thank you for what you've done for us. So God, we bow our hearts. We thank you for your presence. Uh, Please allow it continue. And everybody says? Amen. 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 Better together. How many of you guys like peanut butter and jelly? Yeah, Yeah, baby. Me too. Me too. Warmed up peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm -hmm. Good stuff, man. Did you know the average American will consume 3,000 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in their life? Check this out, 1,500 of those will be before they ever graduate from high school. So that means some of you guys who don't like peanut butter and jelly, some of us has been eating some peanut butter and jelly for that statistic to work out, you know what I mean? Check this out, $800 million a year we spend on peanut butter. That's more than some countries make. Think about it. But we love our peanut butter. 700 million pounds a year. Oh, and I've already got some of you guys thinking about food. I don't know why we open up with food, but we do, right? It'll help, it'll help me preach faster. I know that for sure. But we want to talk about a relationship series this February. Better together. How many of you guys know some relationships can kind of get messy sometimes? Amen? Amen. Yeah, y'all slop that peanut butter on there. And, but sometimes, at least it's an interesting sandwich when it's messy. Too bad whenever relationships aren't messy, they're not too much fun. (laughs) Sometimes they're not very interesting either, amen? But we want to talk to you this morning about that. We want to talk specifically about how understanding that my relationship with the Lord doesn't just influence, but it directly impacts all the other relationships that I could have. And this morning we're going to look at Joseph. But before we go there, I want to share a story with you. Doug Hegdahl is a Vietnam veteran. In 1969, he was aboard a ship in the Gulf of Tonkin. There's a, five inch, uh, uh, there's a five inch gun mounted on the ship and from the concussion blast of shooting that off, he falls into the Gulf of Tonkin. Many of the people that are with him believe that he's died, they have a memorial service. Well, he's about three hours away from shore and he swam and swam and swam. Got picked up by some Cambodian fishermen. Cambodian fishermen being scared of the North Vietnamese turned him in to the North Vietnamese. He spends three years, either two or three years, at the place they call the Hanoi Hilton, which was a camp for POWs. And upon getting there, he acts completely illiterate and ignorant. Matter of fact, North Vietnamese come up with a name, and they come up with his name that's the incredibly stupid one. He's in there, and they're trying to get him to write anti-American slogans, and he's asking how to spell every word. What is the period? What is the period? And the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese, thinking, man, this dude is an idiot. He'll do whatever we want to. Gave him access to all kinds of places on the campground. 
His job, matter of fact, was taking care of sweeping the campgrounds and doing things like that. Well, what they didn't secretly know, that he was actually a very, very intelligent man. Matter of fact, when he would go out and sweep the campgrounds back and forth, he was actually communicating to his fellow soldiers through code. Going into access to all these places, he, was, uh, he, he knew plans that he shouldn't have known. Matter of fact, he was so smart at one point that he said, listen, I need glasses. And they were thinking, what would that hurt? So they actually take him from the prison into Hanoi, buying glasses and bring him back. The whole while, he's actually memorizing the trip, where to turn and how to do it. Every year, the North Vietnamese at that point released three prisoners. It was all propaganda, but they released three anyhow. The only problem was he loved the men that he was with. He had a relationship with them. He had fought with them. He had gone to war. Now he's in a prison camp with them. But his commanding officer in the prison camp said, listen, you've got to go. Being stressed, he really just, being stressed, he just didn't want to go. But he said, no, you got to go because the deal was is if one only gets to leave, nobody gets to leave. They release him thinking that it's the incredibly stupid one. What could that hurt? Well, he sang a song while he was there called Old MacDonald, How to Farm. Anybody know that song? What he had actually done is memorized all 256 names of the prisoners to the tune of Old MacDonald, How to Farm. Memorized personal information, social security numbers, the date of capture, when they were captured, how they were captured. And he goes back and he begins to deliver this all to the American government. Yet he doesn't want to leave, but he understands why would he put so much time and effort into memorizing all these things? Because of relationship. The people needed to know who was in that prison. The people needed to know where the prison was. The men who had fallen, who had died. Could you imagine being in that prison and maybe thinking the world has forgotten you? You're out here in the middle of a hole and nobody knows where you're at. But there was one man saying it to the tune of Old MacDonald had a farm. Why? Because the power of relationship. Relationship can get messy at times, and we know that, but they're incredibly important. We weren't made to do it alone. We're better together, amen? Go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1, 19 and 20. We're going to study Joseph. Now, this is not Joseph in the Old Testament. It's Joseph in the New Testament. This is Mary's Joseph, known as father's stepdad, or Jesus' stepdad, or Mary's husband. And here Joseph is in a quandary. So let me bring you up to this point. An angel has visited Mary and said, you're going to give birth to a man. You're going to call him Jesus. But she said, he said, listen, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and the baby will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not going to be by man. So she leaves. And we don't know when she begins to tell the story to Joseph about this visitation from the angel. We don't know if it's before she leaves or after she leaves, but we know by the scripture that we're fixing to read, she definitely had a conversation with him. Let's pick it up there. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as, she, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And we see through Joseph's life, through this scripture, some things that we can implant into our life 
that can help us with the relationships that we have, understanding primarily that all the relationships that I have are directly affected by the relationship with my Lord and Savior. And here, Joseph, we see that. This could be the biggest moment of his life, right? He and Mary are in a betrothal process, which is a big word for engagement, maybe a little bit more contractual, but nonetheless, they're in a relationship. They're committed to one another. And Joseph is now faced with a question, what do I do? You ever been faced with that question? Have you ever been faced with a question that's so hard that you go and you retreat and you just got to think about it? What do I do next? But we know that every good relationship has to have trust. And I believe in this story we see how Joseph has a trust for his Lord and Savior, which then flows from him into a trust relationship with his wife. He says these two things, resolve to divorce her quietly, and then it says he considered these things. So what was going on as Mary was telling Joseph about all these things, he didn't necessarily initially believe her. If he would have, it would have never, he wouldn't have had anything to consider. I just believe that this is the Lord and here we go. But it shows at some point that he has a relationship with the Lord and it's deep because he retreats and he begins to contemplate and think and ask. God, should I trust her? Because he was in a, a very a hard situation. I'm here and I'm listening to what she has to say. And I love her. I'm betrothed to her. I've chosen her. I've waited. She's waited. We're here. God, I love her. And by that little line, unwilling to embarrass her, we see the true love that he has for his betrothed. betrothed. He steps back and he says, what? should I do? God, should I, should I take her as my wife? Because I love her and people make mistakes. He didn't want to put her to shame. But at the same time, God, I, in that part where it says from the house of David or from, he's a son of David, he understood that Joseph understood his lineage and, and he understood about sin and he didn't want to take any part of it. So if Mary had now stepped into sin and was using this as a reason or a cover up, God, I, I don't want to get involved in sin. What do I do? And he's contemplating and he's asking and he's going after and saying, what is going on here? And we can imagine his frustration, but also understand that it shows a certain amount of holiness. Think about this. You guys remember the lady that was caught in the act of adultery? Dude, the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't wait till they drug her out in public to embarrass and humiliate her. Joseph's spirit was completely opposite. He said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to figure this out. I want to trust her, but what do I do? And then we know, as we read in Luke 1 and 24 there, it says, when Joseph awoke. See, what had happened is Jesus, or, or the Lord sent an angel to visit him in a dream, and he said this. He said, this is the real deal, man. This is Matt version. This is the real deal. What she told you was true. Do not be afraid. Take her as your wife. And then what does he do? He awakes and he immediately goes and does it. The trust that he has for the Lord 
caused him to trust his wife even though he didn't understand, which is a foundation principle in the relationships that we have. But it's not until I come back and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you speaking to me? Could you imagine? He's a young man. He's just getting his business started. He's betrothed. And, and imagine with me for a second. God, I'm just getting my business started. And, you know, I could use a little bit of extra money. Could you create a job for me? You know I'll tithe. You know I've been honorable. And I'm really trying to do this. And then it happens. A person comes by and says, I need you to fix this. I need you to do that. I need you to do some carpentry work. And he goes, to, and before his eyes, what he prays, he then begins to see that trust unfold. And I can trust God. And here we see Joseph trusting Mary because he trusts God. But it didn't happen when everybody saw it. Happened those moments when he was saying, God, what do you want me to do? And in our relationships... Trust is important. In marriage, it's a foundational principle, amen? I mean, in friendship, it really is too. I mean, nobody walks around and stays friends with somebody when they feel like there's a constant pain in their back. Like they're trying to dig something out. But God has called us maybe to be in that relationship and how do I trust this person? How do I, I believe? Well, that started back from Joseph when nobody was looking and he heard a word from the Lord, amen? And he began to trust and he said, he heard the word from the Lord and it says, do not be afraid. The next thing that I see that he realizes is you have to have trust, but then I see courage. The ability to act upon trust. He's going to the town. He's actually from the town of Nazareth, which is about 400 people. And so his wife now, uh, or his betrothed one anyways, is, is pregnant. And at three months, you can start seeing the baby. And he's going through town, and he has to have courage because remember, the lineage he would have known about, and it would have been extremely important. And if you've ever been in a relationship that hasn't worked out or been rocky, you know people talk. You know it. We may have even said some things we didn't need to say. He's going out to work and, you know, to the face of him, hey, Joseph, great job, man. You really fixed that table leg, dude. Way to go, man. And then he walks off and he hears whispers. Do you hear about his wife? They've only been married a couple months, but she's... And I, I thought he was the, I thought he knew his place, you know, like, you know, King David and all this other stuff. I guess it just wasn't that important to him, was it? Because imagine him saying, no, no, I heard from an angel. And the people just looking at him. No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't hear from no angel. But it took courage to go through the streets. How about this? Whenever he goes to Jerusalem for the census, he actually goes to Bethlehem, and we know that. Bethlehem is so close, it's actually known as the city of David as well. So here he's going back with his pregnant wife that he's been married to for a little bit, back to his origins, back to his hometown. And he made this trek constantly. So you know that he would have known people in his hometown. Or excuse me, you would have known that he would have known people in Bethlehem, the city of David, the city of his kin. And imagine him walking down those, oh, man, Dave, Joseph, I haven't seen you in so long. How have you been, man? 
Oh, it's good to see you. Oh, is that your wife? Oh, she's pregnant. man. Great job, dude. You the man. <laughs> you the man. How long y'all been married, man? Six, eight, ten months? And then imagine having to answer that question. It really hadn't been, you know, that long. You know, you know I, I tell you what, I, I, got some, I got some people up in Judea in the hill country. I got to go visit them. But man, it was, it was great to see you. Thank you for loving Mary. I've, I've got to go now. But it takes courage to do those things. It takes courage when everybody looks at you in a relationship and saying, why are you still there? Why are you doing this? But I'm convinced it was because of the word. See, Joseph is a wonderful example of somebody who doesn't lick his wounds, who doesn't coddle his pride, so to speak. He wasn't looking for a way of an escape. And many times what we do is we're so busy looking for a way of escape because the relationship didn't turn out like we wanted it to, when really we don't need a way of escape, we need a word from the Lord, which is what he received in his quiet time, in that time that he was contemplating. You remember that word? Do not be afraid. I wonder if it brought him back, because he would have known the Old Testament, I wonder if it would have brought him back to that time with Joseph. Excuse me, that time with Joshua. When Joshua gets a direct command, he said, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not fear. When that angel looked at Joseph in his dream, and he was sitting there contemplating this, and the angel looked at him and he said, do not fear. Don't be afraid. But see, sometimes we get distracted. It's not working. I got to go do something else. I've got to go find a way. I've got to go find an escape. When really God has had you positioned there because he trusts you. He trusts me. He believes in us. But what we tend to do is forget to retreat and do what Joseph did and say, God, I'm going to work on my relationship with you because I've got to find an answer. Then all of a sudden the escape doesn't become the answer. God, what do you have me here? That's the answer that I want to know about. But it all stems from that relationship with the Lord. Better together. It gets messy, but God designed us to be in this together, amen? And this is the thing is God specializes in damaged goods, amen? And if I'm going to follow him and do what he asks, then I better begin my specialization in damaged goods and realize that people aren't perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but together... Together we can do more than one, amen? Then we also see another thing. We also see the patience of Joseph. Think about this. (laughs) Whenever the conversation happened, he goes up and she visits Elizabeth. And he's either having this conversation with God or he's planning for her arrival. Either way, you see the patience. I'm getting my house in order. Man, Mary and I are going to get married still, regardless of what's going on. We both heard from God, and we're going to get married. I know it's only a one-bedroom house, but I've been adding a little bit on. And instead of one chicken, I'm going to get two chickens because now there's two of us. Oh, and you know how it is, young and in love. Oh, minutes, minutes don't even seem to exist. Hours seem like minutes and and days. And then you get older and married and hours are hours and days are days. (laughs) Sometimes minutes are hours, dude. (laughs) Yeah, depending on the relationship, right? But you see his patience. 
And he still goes after the woman that he loves, the woman of his dreams. He's waited. Oh man, he's 30 years old. She's 15, 16, 17. He's been building up a business. He's no longer considered a youth. Man, I only had one goat. Now I have two goats. I did that so I could support my wife. Then think about this. Jesus is born. And it's kind of his semi-coming out party, if you will. 12 years old, he winds up speaking in the temple. They actually leave him in the synagogue in accident. And they're caravaning back to their home. And they go back to find him. And the priests are blown away by him. The priests are like, man, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Can you imagine the pride in Joseph? Yeah, I know I've been teaching him for 12 years now. I didn't teach him all that he knew, but I've been patient and believing that he is the son of God, that he is who he says he is, and he is who God said he is. And he begins to work with him. Think about this. We know that whenever Jesus performed his first miracle, we believe that Joseph had died. Why? Because Mary was following Jesus around everywhere, and he would have been the eldest boy, so he would have had responsibility for her. We also get that from on the cross whenever he looks down at his next oldest brother, John, and he says, she's your responsibility now. You take care of her. And then as we read through scripture, she's constantly following Jesus around, depending upon him. And that's what would have happened in the culture. Father dies, the oldest son takes responsibility of them all. Yet on his coming out party, whenever the vats are set with water, Mary's so convinced that this is Jesus, she looks at her servants and she says, it doesn't matter what he tells you to do, go do it. And he tells them, get every vat and start filling them up with water, and they do it. Joseph wasn't there for that. 18 years later. But you can tell from that young boy being at the foot of the cross looking up at his brother, that there was a steady dad in the home that cared. There was an influence there. We don't leave family, son. We take, care of our, we take care of your mom. Because John looked up and said, I'll do it. He knew his responsibility. And it shows, shows the patience through the timing, saying we're going to do it. Whenever I retreat back to my quiet time, Whenever I go talk to God and I contemplate things, I meditate on his word, I meditate on maybe a word that he's given me, I think about it, and then I begin to remember where I was when Jesus found me and what shape I was in and the patience that has taken him to get to where I'm at right now. But if I don't have that time, then I rush into a relationship and I, I get mad and I start pointing fingers and throwing bricks and rocks. That's what the Pharisees did. Every one of them had a rock in their hand. Couldn't wait to throw it. And if I'm not careful, I get that same pharmaceutical spirit on me. And it's because I haven't gone back and said, God, as I talk to you, I want to trust you. I want courage to walk through this thing that you've given me, God. And I know that requires patience, but the true patience I find through you, and I only encounter that when I'm in a place where you can speak to me and talk to me, and I can fill it well up within my spirit that way when I leave. I know that I can do it. When I know it doesn't seem like it, when I know that I think I'm on a road of failure, I can go back and say I'm not looking for an escape because I have a word. 
I would encourage you. Ask God, what's your word? Why do you have me here? What are you trying to do? Let me contemplate this. Let me think about this. My question was, why David? Excuse me, my question was, why Joseph? Why Joseph? Of all the men that you could pick, that you could have your son through, and that could guard him, obviously it was through Mary, but why Joseph? And then I think back to the times whenever he's grappling with this and he is unwilling. That's a very strong word. That means he is convinced that he does not need to do it. There's no way that he can do it. And I think back to David, which was in his lineage. A very famous story. Matter of fact, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. All the brothers come out. God says, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Is there another one? Yeah, but he's out in the field. He's with the sheep. And then you look at Joseph. Joseph lived in a town of 400, not in the city. Probably a one-bedroom house, kind of, kind of like many of us, a bunch of hicks. You know what I mean? Kind of out in the sticks. Why would he pick Joseph? And then I remembered what he said to the prophet. And he said, listen, and this is paraphrasing, he said, listen, you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. I, I don't look at a man as you look at a man. I want to see a man and see his heart. But we see the revealing of Joseph's heart in his time when he's with the Lord and he's contemplating. I'm unwilling to bring shame on her. I'm unwilling to embarrass her. I don't want to go that route. I mean, you can imagine he had been in the synagogues before. He had been in there. He was the guy, you remember the tax collector? That they're, they're making this sacrifice for sins before Jesus died. And, and this tax collector says, God, he's looking down at the ground, beating his chest because he's too ashamed to look at the altar. And his prayer is, God, let this sacrifice be enough. I know that I'm a sinner. And the men that were dressed in the priestly robes that had it all figured out, that had the high education and all the money and the power, would look at that tax collector and say, I thank God I'm not like him. And Joseph had seen that. Could that have been why he had that spirit where he said, listen, I know that's not right. If I know one thing, I know humiliating people and embarrassing them is not right, so I'm not going to do it. See, to God, it didn't matter that all Joseph had was a donkey that he led his wife right on to town. The one bedroom didn't bother him. Didn't bother him that was from the sticks. He was just looking for a willing heart. He was looking for somebody to respond. He, God knows all that stuff is material stuff. But this stuff that you can't buy, how many of us know that's from the heart, Amen. And he saw that in Joseph. And I'm here to tell you this morning, guys, that he can see that in you too. You keep working. You keep 
You keep going through courage and saying, God, I'm back for more courage. I'm back for more courage. I'm back for more trust. I'm back for more trust. God, Lord knows I need patience. Amen. If you've ever had a child in your home, you got to have patience. The only way it's going to work. But you go back and you go back and God sees that heart. Then he looks down. And although everything doesn't seem to be working around, God's saying, yeah, but I don't look at all the surroundings. I look at your heart. And I've chosen you for this. Jesus in Matthew 11, sitting down with his disciples. And it's a very familiar scripture. He says, come to me all who are labored and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's a very interesting term, heavy laden. Heavy laden is a nautical term. And what it would have been associated with is ships. This cargo and the things that the, all the things that they carried was so much on the ship that it took a chance of capsizing because the ship was not built for the cargo that it hauled or there was too much cargo on it. Now, I know that Christ came to deliver us from sin, but this is what I do know. My sin, your sin, sometimes we can let that interfere and it becomes a burden. My sin becomes a burden on somebody else. Their sin becomes a burden on me. And Christ says, all you who are heavy laden. It's like he's warning them, listen guys, you're fixing to capsize. Matter of fact, if you think about the weight, it's on the ship and it goes down, down, down. The rudders don't work as well. There's not enough power to drive the ship where it needs to go and it just continues to sink and go lower and lower and lower and Christ is warning us listen you're not made to deal with it but I am Joseph figured that out God I love her do I keep her do I let her go is she in sin is she not I I can't handle this I've been talking to you and I know that you're real because I've been to the synagogue I remember what they taught me about my ancestors. I remember that you don't, you look at the heart. I, I remember God. And he begins to lay it at the feet of his God. And what happens is God answers him. Because he realizes he's not built. Guys, listen, relationships are messy. But listen, we have to do them. We're better together. But many of the things that you encounter when you're in your different relationships will begin to load cargo on us and will go down, down, down. And this is what the scary thing is. We're not making any headway. We're not going forward. We're not going backward. And the Bible says that Satan is a schemer. So he's got that big next wave sneaking up that you don't see. And you're caught in the middle of it because you can't go forward. You can't go backward. You're just going down, down. And you're one inch away from breaking. But all we have to do is say, God, you said all of us who have cargo on us that we can't hold, we can lay it at your feet and you're going to take it. And Joseph was beginning to do that. Would you guys bow with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.